Welcome to Double Bill. This is Joshua. I'm pretty sure it's trespassing to live behind somebody's house for a long period of time. Humphrey. And I'm Mike, Compass Boner Postal. <laughs> and I'm Brian. Hollywood doesn't know how bears work, Watson Jones. And Hollywood doesn't know how bears work. <laughs> That is the perfect encapsulation of the last two years of film. And scene. Wow. Thanks for listening. Double Bill, Double Bill. Comparing culture, it's Double Bill. Putting two things together, it's Double Bill. It's Double Bill. Goes together like chocolate and peanut butter. Like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Like a hamburger and a bun. Like baby ducks and staple guns. Record scratch! Double bill, double bill. Comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill. It's double bill. This is Double Bill, and we're back, and we're here to talk about two films that involve reanimation of dead corpses or the embodiment of dead corpses or using dead corpses how dead corpses can still be useful to our lives <laughs> well and here's the thing uh you this is a really good jumping off point because you you listen to the no you listen to the last you listen to the last part and you said we all sort of came up with this idea communally. Yes. Um, and I remember we had a t- conversation. You're like, well, Swiss Army Man opens on June here, 24th. Here, I'll tell you how it came up. Okay. Uh, somebody was talking about Weekend at Bernie's. And probably. Revisit- it was probably you and revisiting that. And he's like, I was like, you know, that would be very interesting to actually put it together with Swiss Army Man because that's a kind of continuation of the idea that may have been germinated in Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> <laughs> Which Weekend at Bernie's 2, I think, took and ran with to its detriment. <laughs> God damn it. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> Do you know the plot of Weekend at Bernie's 2? Oh yeah, they use... Oh, anyway. It's voodoo. It's voodoo. They use voodoo. And they, they, they put it like... But like the voodoo's wrong, right? Or something? They get the voodoo incorrect and you can only like be reanimated via putting like headphones on? Well, music. Yes, music. music. Yeah. yeah, we can... <laughs> God, they got the voodoo, they got the fictional form of a religion wrong by fictionally deciding like, well, let's just do what we what what do you think we can do with voodoo? Well, make it so that music makes him animated. Yes, there's like there's like a spat in the '90s where voodoo was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, was kind of the answer to like. Well, there was also it was the magical like Serpent in the Rainbow. Serpent in the Rainbow was was a big one. Spat also where accidental necrophilia was a thing. So weekend at Bernie's is sort of the overlap of that Venn diagram. Oh yes. So uh, the two movies that we're talking about clearly are. You know what we should have we should have got like a corpse guest expert. Like, a person who, like, you know, a mortician who could tell mean, us... like, my like, dead guy, Steve, I brought? <laughs> Steve, what do you think? I, I know, actually, you know, the funny like thing is Steve that is I, uh, when I, when I came back from Medora a long time ago and I started getting back into the temp world, this would have been 2002, mm-hmm. we were all, like, we were, we, the big thing was, like, let's have a game where everybody, icebreaker game, like, what, what job, what's the hardest thing you ever asked to do in a job? And one of them was an actual mortician. And mm-hmm. her name was Amy. And Amy was like, she's like, uh, I was part of the, I had to like help prepare the corpse for that Viking, the Minnesota Viking who died during practice back in 2001. Hmm. So he had heat exhaustion. And she goes, it took six morticians to get him on the table. And it took three of us to prep his body. And we're like, whoa, like wow. that's kind of like breaking the ice big time. Then she goes, and we said, what what do you do with that? She goes, I just I quit because most morticians are alcoholics and can't like handle the stress, so they drink beforehand, drink mm-hmm. afterwards. I'm like, wow. Hmm. And she was like, Yeah, I'm gonna write my uh, I'm gonna write my 
memoirs, and it's going to be like, you can get used to anything, just not the smell. Yeah. Uh, so, see, there's an alternate universe where I'm that expert, because there was a Ramsey County assistant mortician job a couple of years ago I almost went for, just because that kind of work fascinates me. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I would not be used to the smell even now if, if I'd gotten the job. I think it's, I mean, it's a challenging thing. My dad used to take my brother and I, my, my story is my dad used to actually take my brother and I to draggings when we were kids. Um, to what? Draggings. To so drownings. You, please, oh, okay. Oh, like where they drag the river? <laughs> yes. So okay. like we Not would like where there. they drag a guy behind a car. Because that, that's what, what immediately my brain went sorry, to. Right. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> so uh, my, my dad worked for Henry County Sheriff's Department, and uh, he part of his purview was the uh, the Water Patrol, Henry County mm-hmm. Water Patrol. Mm-hmm. And what my most vivid memory is like going to Jack's Bakery in Brooklyn Park, grabbing two dozen donuts, oh. then driving out to Weaver Lake in Maple Grove, uh, which is not too far away, and bringing the donuts to the guys, and they were like sharpening chains, and they're going out, and they dragged this uh, uh, a pontoon in that had like I, I remember seeing it like two bottles, like half empty bottles of booze, and they said this guy basically drank, left a note, jumped in the water, and so they were going out and just throwing these massive chains in, like just pulling, yeah, just out. trolling, yeah, yeah, and so like we were like we were like sharpening them, and I watched them sharpen. They're like, do you want to try this? And like I had to sharpen them, so like this stuff was never like scary or gross or anything to me, you know? And nowadays, like I see a movie, like we were just watching and I'm like, after like three days, Bernie would be pretty ripe, you know, yes. like, yeah, like super, he's on an island in the, in the water, yeah. in the sun, he would be usual suspects even says this, like when they're, like they're burying, heaven. like they're burying Fenster mm-hmm. and he's like, we got to bury him. He's like, this is the tidal area. As soon as he washes away, they'll be able to smell him for miles up and down. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there, it doesn't matter that he's gonna stink, right? You know, that's well, the first thing. The fact that five minutes after he's dead, his intestinal flora are gonna start eating him. Yeah. Well, and the fact that like all of his body, he's gonna turn yellow. Everything's gonna like pool at his extremities. Mm-hmm. Gross, gross, gross. Anyway, well, it's um, a comedy, so the rigor mortis is not so much an issue. And also, we have you know, we have Andrew McCarthy and. Uh, what's his butt, Jonathan? Andrew McCarthy's second appearance on Double Bill. He had a very strange career there. Oh, yes. Two, two Bernies, two mannequins, and I think another movie. God. It's our... Why are we addicted to McCarthy? I don't He's know. He's a director now, too. Is oh, he? Good yeah. for him. So, um, Here's where I find so out he should we start with Weekend of Bernie's? We started Weekend of Bernie's, what came out in 1989, I Came think? out in 1989. Yeah, yeah, my, my history... Directed by Ted Kotcheff. Kachev, yep. who we learned did also a First Blood. Yeah, like a strange, Ooh. a very eclectic uh, directing background. So he's directed uh, a PTSD, uh, Vietnam vet PTSD movie where the source material is different than what the final, final movie was and and spurned two, three, excuse me, three sequels with Mr. Uh, Stallone. Mm-hmm. But uh, the movie is one itself, of the better Weird Al sketches. And one of the better Weird Al sketches, UHF. So... We have a movie where the the bottom line is like these two guys who are like middle middling little insurance dudes um, basically stumble across some embezzlement. They bring it up to their boss who they idolize because he's got women. He drives fast cars, and mm-hmm. they're like, if he if we if he sees this, if we show him that we're we're enterprising, he's gonna give us a leg up on life. And it turns out he's the the one that's behind it. And then he meets with it, and then Bernie, the boss, meets with his uh, mob connections. mob connections, and says this is happening. And the mob connections are like, well, he's too greedy. Let's get rid of him and not the guys. Um, and there's also Bernie sleeping with the mobs, mobs mob bosses, girlfriend, wife. girlfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. And uh, uh, the guys find and like they they kill Bernie. 
and Bernie's dead, and that he gives him like an uh, an odism on like something comforting yeah, to give him or some such. to give him like a smile and his eyes open. And they put sunglasses on him, and next I thing, thought that was amazingly easy. How fast they killed him, like mm-hmm. just done. Do right. okay. So do you remember the movie Michael Clayton? No. Okay. I have not seen Michael Clayton. I know what you're talking about. All right. So Michael Clayton has a, actually a plot point in there, that movie, the one with George Clooney. Side uh, segue. So they have a moment where there's a character that this big corporation is like, we can't have them blabbing. So they hire these two nefarious people who are like ostensibly business people who break in, keep him quiet, and then between his toes inject something that stops his heart. Hmm. And they say, well, he had a heart attack, so he can't testify. And, and like they do the whole like checking the pulse and checking the neck and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting until like rigor sets in. They're like, let's go. He's dead. Yeah. So that's like, um, well, I just, I thought it was yeah. so easy because like uh, there's been conversations about like state killings and like how hard it is, like oh, kill sure. people like oh, yeah. by the state and like how complicated it is. And it's just like, oh, he's dead. Well, I wish I don't wish it was that easy, but like, <laughs> but like it's like they should hire the mob to do these killings because apparently it's in, they're incredibly efficient at it. Right, and the strange mob. But uh, so my history with this movie, just so you guys know, is so hold on, let's finish this wrap up before we get too off. Sure, track. sure, sure, yeah. sure. So like the Larry and Richard, who are the two guys, Bernie invites them out to their island where in the Hamptons, in yep. the Hamptons and they get there they discover Bernie's corpse because yep. Bernie had just been killed like five to ten minutes before they get there or something a couple hours sure. yeah not yeah. very long uh, and then who wants to turn who wants to call the cops is it Larry or Richard Richard Richard, Richard wants to call the cops Larry's like oh no 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 hey this is a great deal let's just kind of like he put everything on the back for the weekend we and should then, spend the weekend exactly and then people just start showing up and they're like oh there's a body here they're surely going to notice but nobody does conveniently the party starts exactly when they're going to call the cops. Yep, yep. And conveniently, when he's like, I don't give a shit, we should call the cops, Richard's love interest comes and shows up. Yes. And he's like, do you really want to call the cops? And apparently the impetus to cover up a potential murder or death is getting laid. So, Well, I think that goes for most of human civilization. Between and, 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 and 80s. So um, the rest of it becomes kind of a slap shot, like covering up he's dead. Mm-hmm. Making sure the people on the island, his buddies, don't know he's dead. And then the actual, like, threat, which is the the hitman finding out that thinking – or thinking. Thinking that Bernie is still alive and trying mm-hmm. to do hits on Bernie. And I think Richard and Larry uh, walk in on one of them. Like these, well, oh, the final hit, one. The final one, yeah. yeah. Richard, Richard and Larry also find out that uh, – because during like they're they're looking around yeah they search of him they they the answering machine the the damning answering machine has the message between the, because he couldn't erase it between the hitman and Bernie that says let's frame these guys for a murder suicide mm-hmm. and when they figure that out they realize that they're they're patsies and Bernie got the brunt of it and they're worried about that's actually yeah. a pretty good leap of logic of their part like oh the guy's going to come back and try to kill us well it's it mentions in the message that um, don't kill him while I'm around because right. I need mm-hmm. to have an alibi so they're like well we need to keep him around now we have to be with him 24-7 mm-hmm. and then they go down to the, the pier and the hitman is leaving he sees that guy and sees them you know mm-hmm. so oh uh, hijinks ensue mm-hmm. so There's basically we just cover the first half with no yeah. one yeah what, well do you want to spoil? Like, I mean, eventually, like, do we want to the, spoil it? Spoil by the it. way, a 20, 25 years, 27 27 year old movie. movie. Yeah. yeah, it's just like 
The whole movie turns out to be the fantasy of an autistic Bernie staring into a snow globe. Wow. No, for you. Deep cut. No, that was pretty, that's right. good. Very that's a good one. Cut. Uh, so anyway, uh, all's well that ends well. Uh, the hitman basically comes and tries to like attack them and uh, shoots Bernie, tries to kill the rest of them, mm-hmm. and gets, I don't know, hogtied by a phone cord, an actual landline phone cord by Andrew McCarthy, mm-hmm. who is the most inept motherfucker ever to grace a movie screen. And next thing you know, he punches him out and like says, hold on, hold on, watch me punch him out. It, I don't know. For a 97-minute movie, and for one that I actually used to love a lot as a kid, I used to watch the shit out of this movie. I'm sure like, it was on every channel all the time. Every channel. It's one of those, it's another one of those where uh, the soundtrack, Omnipresent. Way, it was omnipresent. <laughs> and it wasn't one of those where, it, like, we've talked about in the past, I'm like, oh, the edited for television weekend version. No, this was on HBO ad nauseum and so enough so like the the commercials for it were like some like it hot some like uh, it cold <laughs> some like it cold back when every song had to be had that reggae sort of bahama sure. yeah mm-hmm. so that was like i'm like when i heard it i just it made me start sweating a little bit i'm like oh god this fucking song again <laughs> but you know it's it's terrible it's it but what i also think it does is if you watch it from the beginning and we're watching it from the beginning is the great snapshot of 1989 New York City, mm-hmm. where it's pre-Giuliani, pre-Disney World New York. You know, now that you say that, I'm reminded of Basket Case, because it reminded me of Basket Case. Oh! Throwback! Way wow. to go, Jay Humpy! I, I was wondering, I was watching it, it's like, yeah, I had that same thought, it's like the same era, because Basket Case was basically in that same area. Early 90s, early 80s, yeah. Et mm-hmm. yeah. Where well, before Giuliani cleaned it up. Yeah. Well, and like, the, the remember the roof, and that's what... I was telling you, I think, uh, on, on Facebook, I was just like, there's there's certain parts of it, like, when they're on the rooftop and they have all, like, the... Well, yeah, Andrew McCarthy is... melting. Yeah, he's place. smoking, he's smoking, he's smoking, everybody's smoking, there's the ashtrays right outside the elevators, because you can't smoke in the elevator, you know, and, like, he just throws things, and everybody didn't give a shit where they threw their garbage, and he's got, like, the black tar in his hands, and they're up there in the little kiddie pool, and it's like, oh, oh. Oh, that's that's printer ink, Mr. Bernie. You know, it's like, wow, that's like that's stuff that I remember being like super grossed out about as a kid. Like, oh, I don't want to step in that because that reminds me of dog shit. And that's how that's the New York they were presenting. So when they got to the Hamptons, it was beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. It was, it was beautiful people uh, reading their lines, like giving dead Bernie a massage and reading their mm-hmm. lines. <laughs> and you saw the guy goes, wow, Bernie, I've never felt you this loose. And I'm looking at the guy. I'm like, you're reading your fucking lines behind the camera. You can see the guy looking, physically looking over right. there. Later um, burn. Every, I later have burn. this accent for no reason. Yeah, and I have the, I have the Arnold Schwarzenegger accent because I'm a bigger dude. But then you have like people just showing up, let me take your keys, and every woman is wearing a thong bikini, which mm-hmm. nowadays, no woman wears a thong bikini. Everybody like covers themselves up because son, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an amazing snapshot. And I thought, I'm like, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Let me give the dead Bernie a cigarette. That's, that's one of the things I liked about the film. Other things I liked about the film, I think, were the negotiation that happens between the guy who's going to buy the car from, or is trying to sell the car to Bernie. No, he's, buying, 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 he's buying, trying to buy a car I'll give you 30000 I'll give you 30000 Final offer. What is it? Sides. Once he goes up, 50000 40000 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, I like I like that bit, just because I thought that was a funny kind of take on negotiation. Yeah. 
situation. And the like guy not, carrying like a tennis racket anything. at all times. So the guy carrying a tennis racket. He's a tennis I'm trying to remember other things that from the film that really stuck out to me that I enjoyed. Well, here's here's I, one. The, the, here's the the major thing for me was I kept thinking it was going to turn into a gay porn at some point between Andrew for between Andrew See? McCarthy and the other guy. I'll shoot a new ending for from you. Ariel, Jonathan Larry, 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 and the chair. And I was thinking about you know what this would actually be like a real like if like if they were just two gay men who go out there to like like uh, do have this powwow with their boss and right. just go south I thought that would be really interesting because I was really not interested in the love plot because it was like a typical 80s love plot yeah. weekend at pornies um, so we have well that's I mean that's something that would be explored now and back then like people were like slapping each other's hands the characters who were implied to be gay were annoying Yes, you they know were. the guy that they was like there was in like the, the junk- critic. There was like a critic there or something. There was a guy that was like yeah, there was yeah, a guy that was like Charles really Nelson Riley type kind of, of yeah critic sort of yeah. like effete. Kind yeah, of the effete guy yeah. who was like really into Jonathan Silver and Silverman and Jonathan Silverman like wanted to chase after Mary. What's her butt? Uh, Gwendolyn. No, the Gwen. his his love interest, the intern, the, who hasn't even graduated college yet. I'm gonna chase after her. You know, and like let's go up into the lighthouse and have a bit. But here's what stuck out for me this time around. Uh, in a very uh, interrobang, uh, bang the, the talking cat kind of interrobang. <laughs> it's funny I made a joke about that today. Yeah. Well, here's the I'll thing: swear. like the five and a half to ten minutes of a ninety-seven minute movie was taken up with figuring out the boat and a boat gag. Right. That did not need to happen. Yeah. Also, let's walk. Let's show us walking up every single fucking staircase of a lighthouse. And have a lighthouse gag where he gets blinded and falls down, and she like rescues him, and they walk some more, just to give it enough time for Bernie's corpse to wash out and wash back up on shore mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. interrupt their liaison. I'm like, this movie was like a, a, a 30 minute, like basically a Twilight Zone yeah, or some it weird. Could be a 30 minute skit, or it could have been a five minute skit from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, bolstered with bullshit, with like a party scene, with a beautiful house in the Hamptons unnecessary completely unnecessary and I, I feel like this movie is basically the well you know there's like there was like a whole five to ten minutes too devoted to the relationship that uh, Richard had with the girl at the front and like where to put like where to go with the apartment and like I'm really worried about oh. my apartment and my apartment is terrible yeah and my yeah parents, yeah etc and it's just like I do not care about any of that crap right <laughs> um, so but it was, but it was probably a like a 1980s problem, right? Well, and so, like, I mean, okay. it's still a problem. The but. way this probably came up in the first place is I just wrote a um, the first draft of a Shakespearean adaptation of Weekend at Bernie's for production this fall uh, for Fearless Comedy Productions, uh, writing with Duck Washington. I just finished the first draft. It's 90 pages long. I'm super proud. Um, and mild spoiler alert, that 5 to 10 minute boat chase and that 5 to 10 minute date at the parents' house, both are cut. They're described after the fact. <laughs> because it just... How'd your date go? Terribly. They, it's covered. That would be an excellent Shakespearean monologue, apartment worries. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it sort of is. It's just describing the date afterwards, and then the boat chase that didn't happen, just them coming back in from trying to ride a horse with a corpse on it, and they're both terribly bruised. And that's it. That This now has all the plot meaning it needs. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a fringe show. Because it's gone from a 97-minute 97, 97 production to 45 minutes. Yeah, we'll see. But, I mean, that's that's kind of like... Weekend at Fringies. Weekend at Fringies. Oh, Masquerade at Bernard's. And I know. Andrew, it's like, oh, God. And, like, we need visual representation of their characters at all times. Otherwise, uh, so Andrew McCarthy shows up. His first time you see him, he's got a cigarette. He's got a, 
inexplicably a fucking portable, a portable quotes, air quotes TV with the handle on top and a I love New York bag. He doesn't have a suit on or anything. He's, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a briefcase. He's got a plastic fucking grocery bag and for whatever reason, like I want to watch the game on, on Labor Day. Who knows? So, and then you have Jonathan Silverman who is wearing like he's buttoned down. He can, oh, he's totally buttoned down. He's ready to go. Um, but later on, when they had their their professional meeting, he's wearing like all like checkers and shit. He looks like a Batman villain, you know. Like he's got the checkered coat, checkered shirt, and like the tie. He's like, we gotta go meet Bernie. I'm gonna light a cigarette for him and all this other shit. Um, during that scene, Maybe I got sell him a car. A really important part though is that during that scene, because Labor Day, they're like, it's hot. It's gonna be more hot and hot, hot, hot. Um, without having Buster Poindexter sing about it. Did you guys remember, like, the lobby scene when they're walking in and, like, all the business people who are yeah. walking in? Yeah. So there were dudes who were wearing suits. Shorts. shorts. The shorts. Yeah. The, the business the shorts. shorts. That was amazing. I was like, what are those? And it, because and I was it, not, like, aware at the time to even conceive of, like, business shorts. In, the, in, in, that, in that short of a week, so I actually read a crack. Bing, 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 bing. Mike talks about cracked. Uh, I guess in season one of Star Trek The Next Generation... They had guys oh, yeah, they wearing did. miniskirts. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. That and was they're like, because they wanted to put their was like, pretty ensigns in skirts, but mm-hmm. they wanted gender equality. So Boom. So yeah. I was just like, wow, this is 1989. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, hijinks and Sue. I mean, is there anything Sue. else to like really speak about Weekend at Bernie's? Uh, wrote the script, and I think we covered most of it. I did think the love story was better done than a lot of 1980s Comedies, it's the B plot love stories. Sure, like if it's if it's a love story movie, then it might have something else going on. But this one, there actually felt like there was a reason she was attracted to him, which is not common. Like it wasn't necessarily actually, the best do, reason in the world, but there it wasn't just like, well, you're the guy. I feel like they had like a certain amount of chemistry that I was actually like legitimately believable. Yeah, she was actually charmed by his befuddlement, mm-hmm. which is and I thought nice. that was cute, and like I could see like the steps she was taking to like, oh yeah, this guy is actually kind of charming. Mm-hmm. I will go back and, to his apartment, and it ended with her like them being together, but being together for a few days before she goes home. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, now we're going to get married, because these were great circumstances to start this off. It was just like, now we're going to date a couple more times, mm-hmm. because we haven't broken up. These were the two... And apparently they did, because Weekend at Bernie's too. I don't think she returns. No. These two were the hottest... These two were like the hot dudes, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you could not throw a rock without Jonathan, Jonathan Silverman or uh, Andrew McCarthy, like, being at the end of it. McCarthy had been... McCarthy would catch it and toss it back to you, and well, he's Silverman been... would take it right in the forehead and drop to the ground hilariously. Silverman went on, he did TV he, for a while, he had a TV show. Yeah, yeah uh, McCarthy funny. now, I guess, is directing TV shows, and... and They're still working. Yeah, yeah, but, like, behind well, the scenes... McCarthy directed First Blood, right? No, we're talking about... That was, that was no, Mr. Jack... 40 Second Blood. No, yeah. but I want to see his First Blood. Yeah, it'd be funny because he kill they kill the communists and then they pick them and they walk around tying their shoelaces together and walking them and making them wave weirdly. Yeah. The dummy work in the movie was really really good. I was consistently impressed with that. I couldn't tell when it was the actor being some pretty good with mime I was and when in, it was obviously a dummy with some foley thumping. Yeah, I was really impressed with Terry Kaiser, the guy yeah. who played. Oh yeah, he did a really good job. His physical comedy. He kept his eyes open. If you saw light on him with his sunglasses on, you're like. Okay, he's he's doing the yeah. Little, when he was yeah. doing just sitting there being the corpse yep. in those scenes, I really appreciated his work. I didn't like the dummy stuff that they did with like the boat. I thought oh the was, the clang. Well, yeah. the fifteen minute boat. Well, it was goofy as hell, but the the actual practical usage of it yeah. was good. There were a lot of scenes like where 
he was getting dragged along the dock and his head was bumping. Bum, was bum, like, bum, 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 That's yeah, either yeah. a really good dummy or that hurts. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell if it's him or it's not. Sure. That's very well put together, especially for late 80s. Well, and also, God, where were those parties? Like, that was a party. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody mm-hmm. show up, drink his booze, dance. Now, that's the crazy. rich person's fantasy. Like, I'll go to my house and then everyone will show up. Everyone will show up. I'll have enough everything for everybody. There's going to be people screwing around. Dit, 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 dit. Well, I'm and sure the staff way, is just preparing the place for the weekend, though. Like, staff, all the time. like he kicks them all out beforehand. Mm-hmm. One but, of them. The other one he doesn't kick out. The other one just discreetly knows when to leave. Speaking yeah. of your gay fantasy, do you notice that when he goes up to like say we should make that a segment in every double bill? <laughs> the, the gay fantasy. Speaking the gay of your gay fantasy, <laughs> well, when he knocks on his door, he's like, "Give me thirty seconds." Okay, ha ha. He he's gonna finish in thirty seconds. He's knocking his door like to like you got to come out here and help me. You know, Bernie, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go. He's like, mm, "Give me a second, You know, all that stuff. We never know who he's in the room with. Yeah, they never imply. They never say it. Well, they never the, imply it. The only implication is that the last time we saw him, he had his arms around two women. Yeah. Well, no. The the other implication is that he hit on that one woman who was like, "Go fuck yourself," you know. Yeah. And who was like into like the whole like I need a nose job. But Larry is definitely like the horn dog. <coughs> oh yeah, in yeah, the yeah. whole thing, he's the id. Yeah. Definitely. I don't have much more to say, and I want to talk about Swiss Army Man. So right. Oh, yes, yes. Why don't, why don't, Better than you'd think. Better than you'd think. Uh, still an 80s... Would yeah. you call it a bro comedy? I don't know if I'd call it a no. bro comedy. No. I wouldn't go as far as calling it a bro comedy. I would say check it out as a... As a, as a brotherly a comedy. Buddy comedy. Buddy comedy. A museum piece to capture what it was like. Museum for, piece. Well, no, for how people would like time to... Time capsule. Yeah, people who want to envision what the 80s is like. It's a time capsule of when a hitman arrives at an island, we have to make him look badass. Let's give him a teal shirt. <laughs> a teal V-cut, really deep shirt. Well, you have to admit, though, also, when he's like... Miami Vice. Oh, he's Let's like, Miami he's out of bullets. I got another gun! I'm like, well, who would have thought about that? That's a pretty cool thing to like he's say. He's a professional. Yeah. And he's a, he's a googly-eyed comedian. That dude, apparently... I was like, where have I seen him? Yeah. He was in Return of the Living Dead. He was like the mortician. And no <laughs> one's going to know that. But they're like, that was his big thing. And I was like, I saw that movie. I don't remember him. But <laughs> he looks like a googly-eyed reject from Return of the Living Dead. So, uh, onwards and upwards. Welcome back to Double Bill. We're going to talk a little bit about Swiss Army Man, starring Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> yep. Before we start, can I just say, Paul Dano cannot grow a beard, but he needs to have a beard. His beard was doing some heavy acting. <laughs> he was Beard King. Um, okay, what so... What else have I seen Paul Dano in? Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Mm-hmm. He was uh, yeah. he was the Vow of Silence guy. He was also one of his earliest roles was a movie called The Girl Next Door, okay. starring some pretty fucking heavy talent, including Emil Hirsch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie that Emil Hirsch is like a kid who is like a honor student, uh, and a porn actress moves in next door, uh, played uh, uh, played by Kiefer Sutherland's daughter from Twenty Four, Alicia Cuthbert. Uh, yes, and he finds yes. out about her and. Paul Dano is like, he's got two friends, and one of them is like a horn dog, and the other, because that's the theme. And the other one is a quiet, like, sensitive kind of guy, mm-hmm. and that's Paul Dano. Uh, Paul Dano has been slowly establishing himself in, like, independent movies. Um, he was just recently in the Brian Wilson movie, where he plays a young Brian Wilson, uh, Beach Boys, Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. Okay. And John Cusack plays the older, like, kind of scrambled version of him. Um, Whatever, it's probably, it's a movie that's named after, like, one of their lyrics. 
Anyway, um, so more and more recently, is Paul Dano was in a in he went to uh, Coachella, and when Sia performed with uh, hmm. her little like doppelganger sure. dancer girl, mm-hmm. he was on stage and did that too. Interesting. Well. Yeah. So anyway, he's was kind it of planned, a, or did he just like <laughs> he just kind of got up on stage and did it? He's not Crispin Glover, guys. He's not Crispin Yet. Glover. Yet. When Christian Glover dies, though, someone will have to take up the mantle. There's a really interesting like segment about Christian uh, Crispin Glover uh, by who's the No Small Parts. It's a YouTube series. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like thirty or forty minutes long, all about like Crispin Glover's career. Yeah, re- it's very I, fascinating. That's the YouTube series I would be most into, but I cannot commit it to a bunch of forty minute videos. I and yeah, honestly, I watch a lot of forty minute videos instead of watching movies. Before mm-hmm. before I mean before we launch into it, that's he's a guy who I think has been presented to the world as hyper weird and like hyper everything and like he's doing he's like I think Crispin Glover is incredibly savvy about his own performance skills that's what I think too I think he's and like you don't do a movie like Charlie's Angels you know like as the weird fucking kung fu bad guy yeah and then do a movie with everybody's gonna have like you know then Down syndrome, and then play Grendel. It's like no, no. I think he, I think he knows his shit. And I think yeah. he's a good performer. He does now. He, he is. He's got a good film face too. His whole Letterman thing, I still believe, was real and not just uh, put on. Mm-hmm. But so maybe he just like, well, I can't pull fully out of this swerve. I guess I'll just right. go with it. You know, like I feel like James Franco was sort of doing a little some like weird, yeah. interesting things, and like Shia LaBeouf has tried to capture that, like at yeah. some point. But Shia LaBeouf just comes off as like copying everybody else, which he's kind of doing. Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Great whip. We're not talking about Swiss Army Man anymore. We're just no. So, okay, so, so anyway. like Swiss Army Man. What about Man? Daniel Radcliffe? What's he done? Uh, you can look him up. He's done a few things. He's okay. All right. Cool. All right so let's. I mean, let's talk about this. So can, I, can I can ahead, I start because I want to say like I can pin down. I can put Weekend at Bernie's into a category: buddy comedy, eighties film, etc. Swiss Army Man is almost unclassifiable. Okay. So here's I, something I want to say. No, 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 Josh. Like, you, your response is not online here on the podcast, mm-hmm. but when you were like this movie, and I was like, I didn't know you were going to be like this is this is what I like. I was like, you're going to have some things to say about this movie. And I'm very curious. I just want to say I think this is a dark, gritty reboot of Castaway with Daniel Radcliffe as Wilson. Yes. That's okay. one way. I put it as I put it as say anything, but Daniel Radcliffe is the boombox when John Cusack shows up at the girls' place, and the boombox only well, plays this... the Jurassic Park theme and Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> okay, what? Why do people what? hate Cotton Eye Joe? That was it's like the... terrible ass song. It's, it sucks. It's a traditional. So okay, so I get that like... song is actually playing in hell. If I'm in hell, Cotton Eye Joe over What's... and over. Again. Well, yeah, but there's a short story about a room in hell where. People just look at vacation slides forever, and then it ends with, the funny thing is, there's a room just like this in heaven. So, <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe is also playing in heaven. Yes, probably. Probably. So, Not the room you, reserved for you. You but. had a... Well, we should describe it, and then I'd, I'd like to describe it, and I think you should describe it, and then I also wanted to find out, hmm. you, you, you did... Because when I walked out of it, I had thoughts and feelings, but when you said the word Frankenstein... I was just like, that's it. Boom. That's the one that's kind of like, I was like. I called it a, did I call it a Frankenstein's monster of a movie? No, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. yeah. It's, like, it's patchwork of like, you're like five or it's six eight, different movies. It's like eight different movies. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's a treatise on mental health mm-hmm. for one thing. It's mm-hmm. a buddy comedy. It's also like vaguely horror, 
like that has horror elements into it. It's about what else is it about? It's like at the beach. It's a survival. Like, right, uh, it's man you know, versus nature. Man versus nature. Man versus himself. Man, man versus exactly. Corpse. It's like all of these different things combined, and you're like thinking like you get a hold on it, and then it shifts. So what's the movie yeah. about? The movie well, stars Paul Dano, and the conceit is is like he's stand, stranded on a small island somewhere in, in the Pacific. In the Pacific. I, yeah, in the Pacific because it has this northwestern. Well, he specifically America mentions vibe. the Pacific, yeah. it, like in that garbage. He and he's been mentioned. there for God knows how long. The movie doesn't give you an impression. He's just long enough for Dano to grow a beard. beard, which probably took a while. Uh, and he's about to kill himself. He stands up on a cooler as a noose right up there is about to like tip himself like off cast of it. away exactly. And he's smarter. While he is doing that, he spots a body in the surf, and he's like, oh my god, there's a body in the surf. Somebody else might be here. Maybe I can save it. And he kind of has, like, he almost kills himself anyway by accident. Mm -hmm. uh, but he goes up to the body, and it turns out the body's dead. And so, but it's his only, like, uh, connection, really. Like, he, so he drags the body back. He wants to kind of, I get, does he want to kind of, um, well, no, he just, treat the body well or, like, bury no, the body? he just looks at the body for a while and then, like, Realizes deals with it dead. and then goes Realizes back to kill dead. himself again. Takes, yeah. takes the belt because he broke his rope. Yep, yep, exactly. And then tries to do it again. And I think, then... did he get food off of the body, too? I feel no, like no. that's later. That was, he that's finds later. the Cheetos later. The he Cheeto finds the Cheetos later. Uh, and so, like, I'm the he worst one to be describing this because I saw it two weeks ago. And he discovers it last the, of the week <laughs> as he's about to hang himself for the second time. He discovers the corpse's fart power. Yes, the fart power, and he uses the fart power to get off the island because that propels. Like he sticks Daniel Radcliffe back in the water, and of course he's Daniel Radcliffe is motorboating out of his ass. He is a jet ski. Yep, and that's and Paul Dano rides him to like actual to land. land. Yeah. Are you are you with us so far? We we've now described Harry Potter. As farting himself across the Pacific with Paul Tano on his back. Can we just take a moment to appreciate Daniel Radcliffe's career? Like that's he, in he general. It's in general. Yeah, I just, mean, he was Harry Potter, which could have, which could destroy somebody. It could give you all the money you ever need, and then you can never do anything again. But he's just been doing cool shit, weird shit. Now, well, I think a lot of that has to do extras. with he did Equus in mm -hmm. London. I think a lot of that has to do with just the baseline that he had because you're working with all these great talented British actors and directors and directors. He even he even I remember I had the van include Fair. Chris Columbus in that. I will include Chris Columbus <laughs> in that because you know people are like oh Macaulay Culkin is like fucked up and like no he kind of like was like I I'm thin and I don't do heroin fuck you but I had the Vanity Fair where they're like this is this kid his name is Dan Radcliffe he's playing Harry Potter and the caption was the lottery winner. And this kid won the fucking lottery. Mm -hmm. And after, and as he was doing these movies, he was like, I think I want to be in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying and Sing and Dance. I want to be in Equus and yeah. show my uncircumcised penis to the world. And I want to be in Horns. And I want to be in this, I want to be in oh. like. And he, he trolled the paparazzi when he was doing that one play all the time yeah and then yeah. he was in uh he was in the amy a train wreck as like the movie within a movie mm -hmm. the dog walker <laughs> you know which is goofy shit and like it's and like now he's doing this movie where the 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 best part about one of the best parts about this movie because i know it's a frankenstein monster of a movie where 
it's weird. He he finds out. Okay, so keep me going. He finds out that the body can like Paul Dano finds out that this dead body can do all sorts of miraculous things. First, he finds out that it can talk to him, which, which freaks him out. He find he doesn't. It's not. Does it spew water first? First thing he, he does, treats it, it as a canteen. Yes, yes. and then like he, a water reservoir first. Yep. And then the, the water, like he tries to capture water in a rainstorm, he can't do it. But then he finds out that the body can retain water, and so he drinks from it. So that's that's Mitch, interesting. That's there's got to be like three diseases you can only get from that, right? Yes, exactly. And then uh, he's talking to the body. He's like kind of having. And then when the body talks back, he freaks out. But suddenly he realizes he now has a friend that he nicknames Manny. And this 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 non animate non animated. It's important. Corpse um, basically is speaks in simple like learning sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's got to basically teach him how to be a person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's like, this that there's another movie like it's a teaching movie where yeah. he's teaching the corpse how to like interact. This is what and my face does movie. when it's happy. And mm-hmm. you smile when you're happy and you know why why don't you masturbate? And like weird really weird shit. Like he puts him on the ground with like and he's finding detritus everywhere that is helping him tell these stories and mm-hmm. it's and it's a michelle gondry movie as well yeah, it right? is. like the whole like it, I, I thought the about whole, this like sequence where they he makes up the bus the science right. of sleep yeah it's yeah. like a total science of sleep moment calling back to another mm-hmm. earlier one but he's like you know like he puts him down face first on a sports illustrated swimsuit issue and then he finds out sports the guy's illuminated sports illuminated because sorry. apparently that was the only thing in the movie that they couldn't get the rights to trademark so he gets a boner and the boner points true north as all of ours do I'm sure uh, listeners and that's another thing it's like he's like why am I getting this boner and he talks about boners and he talks about his parents history and he calls him retarded I shouldn't call you retarded I sound like my dad and it's like a dad like I'm trying to like, unshelf all this shit for my psyche the whole like boner compass did it it wasn't pointing tr- toward True North. I interpreted it as imp- pointing toward the well, girl was, that Paul Dano specifically was, yeah, liked. Pointing towards home, but it absolutely wasn't, judging from the fact that he was lost in the wilderness for seven days. Mm-hmm. At least, judging from his phone. And then, at the end, when he runs back to the ocean, it takes like 45 seconds. Yeah, like, right. He got lost in a 50-foot-wide patch of forest between a town and a beach. And again, the psychological... He's got psychological issues mm-hmm. that causes him to be lost within a very small swath yeah. of of well, area, I which is in the backyard. Well, if he was even lost in the first place. If yeah. he was even lost in the first place, which well, makes it a unique movie to like think about. Like, what what's happening? Like, is this... Like, is this movie actually happening in your head? Are you actually talking to a dead body? Which is something mm-hmm. people... Like, you, you, you read stories of survival stories. I mean, pick up a fucking crack hour book or something, you know, where people start losing their mind. Like, oh my god. I mean, you get well, hypothermia. Yeah, the, the movie presents Paul Dano as having, like, this mental illness toward the end of the film, right? And mm-hmm. it, sort of, it sort of becomes this, like, oh, it's just a goof. The corpse wasn't doing anything. And then the corpse kind of does do stuff. And it's like I'm, I'm spoiling this, but I don't know how many people are going to actually see it. Yeah, right. It's like in and because then like everybody is witness to the corpse motorboating away, farting a flatu. How do you? How would you say flatulating away? Yeah, farting away. I think away. Farting it, away is a my, good one. My only big issue with this movie was the ending because from the moment like dealing with the little girl and the woman in the backyard was fine, and then like as soon as the paramedics and the cops show up. It's like the movie didn't know what to do anymore, so it just did things and then eventually ended. That's a good. I, that's a good critic. Yeah. I absolutely expected like Daniel Radcliffe shooting away into the sunset, and then like a frame to come up that said Manny died on his way back to his home planet, <laughs> or or like something like we we experienced Jesus, uh, the voices, you know, mm-hmm. like all of a sudden like everybody yeah. looks and Manny is like 
decrepit. Like mm-hmm. after days and days has like and been oh, picked yeah. at and shit mm-hmm. and like been in the ocean and people are just like Danny Radcliffe had some makeup. like and they're looking going what he's been dragging this this rotting corpse around and talking to it he's fucked and you know like his version is like the the on, the not on drugs uh, Ryan Reynolds version yeah I was kind of expecting that to pop up because yeah. Ryan Reynolds had that glossy kind of view of his life and yeah. then he like when it obviously wasn't it was. When Anna, when Anna right. Kendrick like yeah, opened yeah. the door, she's right. like, "Holy or shit!" Went, went off his meds for half a day. Yeah, he mm-hmm. realized this is the shit I'm going through, and that's kind of like his meds for half a day. And that's that would have been another movie itself, you know? Like he's on an island, he doesn't have his meds, he's losing his shit. The voices almost would have been a better pairing with this movie. Oh god, I still maybe. want to do it with Castaway. Yeah, maybe yeah, that also might have been really good too. <laughs> but honestly, I I didn't not like it. I laughed a lot. I laughed a lot more than I thought it Did would. Did I tell you yeah. that three people walked out of the movie while I was watching it? Oh, no shit. Yeah. Wow. Uh, they were like... Uh, was three... it the boner? It was the boner, wasn't it? It was when Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe were starting to make out with each other. Which... Underwater? When they were like... Because they sure, didn't really. Yeah. They almost did. Or like the flirtatious, maybe... The party scene. The drunk uh, day. I think it might have been the party scene. Because yeah. the party scene, they're like doing this and they're talking and they pass out. Take my arm out of the window. But it wasn't until they went under the water and like they were you know, trying I think, to cross the I bridge. think it was when they started... Like, it was kissing. Is that where... They like go underwater and, air after and they're sharing air, and then yeah. and then he smiles at them, yeah, which is yeah. like okay. So sure. and like I think they were like three dude bros who had come in for like a buddy comedy, right? Right. And did not get a buddy comedy at all. They got a buddy comedy. They got right. a part of a buddy comedy. Well, a buddy comedy. They got a, but there's buddy comedy in that DNA. It's somewhere. 2016. Buddy comedies can be heteroflexible. That's true. And like you know, especially when but like the thing was, is they walked out just, and, I was, and I was like, you know, I don't blame you really. For walking out of this. If you didn't know what you're getting into, you know, like, I get it. Like, this is a movie that probably defies your expectations. In which case, I didn't not mind it. It it defied a lot of expectations. Right, right, right. I was the only one in the theater for mine, because I saw it at, I think, I believe the final Twin Cities viewing. The fact that they had it in Rogers is amazing. Right, Rogers 18, 9.30 on a Thursday. Yeah, so nine I mean, of those theaters are showing Finding Dory. <laughs> right. Oh, she was all over the front door. But, so I watched the movie. I'm sitting, you know, in my preferred seat because, fuck it, there's nobody else here. The movie ends. I wait through the end of the credits, not because I'm expecting a trailer for Swiss Army Man 2, um, but because I just like to finish the movie with sure, the sure. music that's built into it. And I walk out, and I almost didn't see any other human beings between the movie theater and my car, so I almost had this, like, well, this is a weird post-apocalypse. Like, the Swiss Army Man, post-apocalypse. There's just no Did uh, Samuel L. Jackson show up at the end and be like, and talk to Daniel no. Radcliffe and say, Although spoilers, I, I the, the, the Swiss Army inv- <laughs> Initiative. <laughs> oh, God, that would be great. No, that'll be... I'll add that to my Avengers Initiative Initiative roster. I have added the new Ghostbusters to it, because, of course. But, um... Maybe not Bernie, though. No, Bernie sucks. Yeah. Uh, I think... He's the villain. I think... So, the, uh, uh, let's talk about, like, things that we liked. We've, I think we've liked quite a bit about it. Yeah. Right? It was... Yeah, it was... It was... I thought it was one of the more yeah. interesting I, films I've seen in a long time. I'd like to really quick actually talk about... Uh, I've, I've spent some time with this movie, not just watching it but like i've actually read some because i'm like what do you do in a some mo- time we played catch no what do you do with a movie like this is a movie that's two dudes through like almost 100 150 minutes of a movie mm-hmm. you know and i was I'm, I'm kind of as an actor curious like what do you do and mm-hmm. uh i read about paul dano like reaching out to daniel radcliffe and saying hey can you come over to my apartment and they spent they're like we spent time together and 
they did weird shit. He's like, he goes, okay, I'm going to have a drink of water and I'm going to spit it in your mouth. And like weird shit like that. And wow. like, I'm going to piggyback you around my apartment. And they're like, how much? He goes, I'd say about, he goes, 70% of the movie, I'm actually dragging him behind me. And he goes, we had some practical stuff that needed to happen with the dummy, which, you know, you, you know, like affect stuff. Right. He goes, you but, don't throw Daniel. He goes, but he goes, I kind of wanted to like grab his body and make him a part of my, my body. Mm-hmm. And like, it was like very actorly, you know, mm-hmm. like it wasn't just, we showed up, we had a read through and let's go that he's like the Daniels like really made a point to like, say we needed to have this kind of thing happen. Well, and if you want to talk about craft, I think that's on display with both of them. Like mm-hmm. they were thinking about it, obviously when they're, when they were doing this activity, I don't think any of that happened with like Weekend at Bernie's, for example. Yeah. <laughs> there was some. I think plates of cocaine were had, and yeah, they're like, except for uh, Bernie's. Per- yeah. Bernie's performance was pretty good. Like I'm the cocaine. Probably... He, every time he came out, he's always like, "I'm like, oh come on." But really? I like I like that idea that they got together and like we're kind of doing this beforehand. Yeah, that seems like it a nice. That really seems like they thought about it. I was charmed by the movie, except for the ending, which I didn't think fit. And the other, the only other thing that bugged me was when he spotted the corpse in the beginning, it was way too close. Like, because the body was literally at the closest point between him and the water. And it's like, you just set up an entire new system and didn't notice this washed up dude. Because he doesn't wash up while he's watching. He's there. Should have been farther down the beach or something. But that's, that's just nitpicking. It's only because it was at the very beginning. I was like, how did you miss that? He's 20 feet away. But... Other than that, I was completely charmed by the movie. They, their relationship was super fun. I gave up very early on on trying to figure out whether it was real or not, which saved me a lot of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like we should have all eaten, like, a ton of beans and then early in the day and then, like, came to this because the oh, are whole... Are farting? I've been farting. The, the true... The through line... <laughs> if you can't fart in front of your best friend, who can you fart in front of? <laughs> <laughs> And like some amazing lines, like oh. the the two lines that stuck with me, and one of them was from the ending. I didn't like it; just fit really well. Um, when the girl sees he has a photo of her on his phone, he's like, "I'm sorry, you just looked really happy, and I wasn't." And that's like, "Oh, that's real." Wow, that's deep. And then there was another line where he was talking about why he hadn't killed himself, and he was like, "I every time I wanted to, there was some beautiful thought that convinced me to stay." And it's just like that's fan, that's amazing that line. You have these weird little speckled moments of real emotional truth around the fart corpse that can shoot BBs out of its mouth fast enough to blow the head off. And you know, all of that is omnipresent, like the flatulence and the body humor. It's all there all the time. It doesn't really go away at any point. But then, like you said, you have these kernels of, Mm -hmm. like, truth that are sprinkled Don't use in the with word all kernels. I know. Well, and the thing is, it's like, I can kind of feel like, I kind of feel like that's, that's what kept this movie from being a, what would probably be a cult classic, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. how everybody like shits their pants over that movie. A lot of people do. And this movie is like, that's because Jim Carrey speaks in brown noise. Well, and that, that this is a, this is a movie that has thoughtful moments like that. But those thoughtful moments, you have to kind of slog through like, this weirdness, this un—I wouldn't say slog. It's no, undercut. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's but it's, or at least like the sentimentality, the loftiness of such comments are sort of like taken down a peg because of it. It's yeah. not. Yeah, it's not like well, it, the, feels, it hasn't gelled. The, it feels intentional though, because if the movie was all that, it would just feel preachy. Yeah, I think. Sure, but sure. it's more sure. like yeah, you know we're dealing with each other and we're with each other for days and days and days and days and having conversations people don't normally have because you're the most childlike corpse I've ever met, um, hitting these moments of emotional truth, which I really enjoyed. 
they didn't feel they never felt like they weren't earned and they never felt like they weren't organic to me. Right. And then the little like light show. I mean, there's just like there's you know, this is the, charming this is moment. the second best reinterpretation of Jurassic Park I've seen. The first being uh what was it called? Jurassic Tom, World. World. Tom no no no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the third or fourth. <laughs> oh, like how the second best Star Trek movie is Galaxy Quest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, Tom Reed did a one-man performance of Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, right. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, years ago in the fringe. Tom Reed's Jurassic Park. That was fantastic. That was the same year as Bart Fiction, so that was 2009. Jura- I can't remember. I can't remember what it was called, but it was so fantastic. Tom Reed is now married to Anna Weibo, who did the... Theme music for us. Did, did right. the theme music for us, and like that was an amazing performance. Yeah, that if you listen to the theme music closely, ever. you can hear Tom in the background firing a Nerf gun. Yeah, that's probably what he was doing. Yeah, why not start that start that rumor? All right. But I loved. I, I liked the film, though. I can't say if like I loved it or I hated it. It's that I'm like really in the middle ground somewhere mm-hmm. uh, concerning my feelings for it. It but, wasn't a shitty night at the cinema. I think. Oh no, 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 I think it was. No. It was worth like supporting that kind of that kind of a weird ass movie. And again, mm-hmm. I. Daniel Radcliffe could have like just kind of went off the rails and like only chosen to do like tentpole movies, and he's he's consistently doing these little weird fucking movies like yeah. this and What's Horns this? and and the Woman in Black, you know like yeah. I like the Woman in Black a lot. I still I like it better than I thought I would. Do you guys is, know the story of how he trolled the paparazzi? I don't. Play? He he knew that they'd be waiting behind the stage door after every show to get photos of him and not his like fellow castmates. So he wore the same clothes every single day. So that it would, all their photos were useless because it looked like they were all taken from the same time he left yep. the building. Yeah. <laughs> it was so simple and brilliant. Yeah, and, he's yeah. he's smart. I really enjoy him. I think he makes good choices with the work he, that he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, he has the he has the luxury of doing that. Uh, yeah, because he is set for life with all the residuals that are probably the royalties that are coming from the Harry Potter and, that, and that's yeah. amazing. But I mean, at the same time, it's it's nice that. Instead of sitting on it, he's like, I enjoy doing movies, yeah, yeah, but I enjoy... Let's find good projects Let's for find good projects for myself. Let's yeah, not sit going, at home and burn He's going the Keanu Reeves route, only he's a better actor. Jesus. He's, he's going the, I don't need to do movie. I don't need to do gigantic blockbusters, and if I do, I'll probably not keep the money, because well, I don't need this money. Keanu Reeves might have been a great actor if he had spent his entire, like, formative years surrounded by some of the best British and or, and or American actors Would of his though? generation. I mean, think about it. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. It all depends, I think. Ooh, it all thunder. depends. Ooh, Thunder. Yeah. Oh. Keanu Reeves is a very good actor for what he's good at. I still haven't seen, what's the word? The John Wick? Really? I've heard it's really good. Same it's here. really good. Yeah. I mean, it's it's I a... It's, it's moving to the top of boom. the list of what I have to watch. I need to see Jack Reacher, because somebody's like, I'm like, I'm not going to support Tom Cruise's nutty ass. And somebody's like, no, Jack Reacher's a good movie. And like, did you like John Wick? I'm like, yes, I did. And, the, and it's... It's John Wick is more affecting than you would think, and it's got a better talented cast than you would think. And boy, good for you, Keanu, for playing like somebody like you're not Neo, you're just a badass. And it's it's more like if you've seen the uh, what are those movies with Jason Statham where he's just like indestructible? Oh, and the Transporter? No, no, not Transporter, uh, but one the one where he's dying. Because crank, he's crank. crank. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like Crank. Like Crank is like Jesus movie, but Crank Two is when the directors kind of like threw the script in the air and they're like. And the movie ends. Go. The movie ends with him flicking off the camera on fire, and you're like, "This is what the directors think of you as an audience, and you're gonna pay millions of dollars to support the movie." And they're like, 
And the director's like, yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking when they're like, can you do a crank two in like two minutes? And they're like, no. And they're like, do it. And he's like, they're like, okay, but we're going to do our movie. So they got the guy who was in the, the not Napoleon Dynamite character, the guy who played Vote for Pedro. And Pedro was like a schizophrenic capoeira master. Oh, God. Do you realize that? That's we, how crazy it was. In like 30 years, we're going to have Expendables movies that star Paul Dano and Pedro from... Probably. We're, we're going to have all the awkward white teenagers in an Expendables movie, and it's going to be phenomenal. I'm waiting for an all... That's a good thought. That's a good thought. Uh, what's the word? Oh, shoot. That's a good thought experiment where you're just thinking like 30 years ahead and seeing who will be in the next Expendables iteration right. 40 years ahead, etc. I really want the awkward white teenage Expendables. Now, if possible, but I'll, I'll deal with it when they're old. So we be, should we compare and contrast Yeah, let's uh, compare these. I mean, they both involve dead bodies. Yep. Right. Uh, they both involve dead bodies shooting through the water. Yes, that's true. Uh, one under its own propulsion, the other not. Mm-hmm. Um... What else do they involve? Islands, I guess. Uh, I mean, <laughs> buddy comedies, I guess. Yeah. I, I'm trailing off well, here. They involve, I don't know what else to say. They about involve, um, I mean, Swiss Army Man makes a very significant point about how corpses are basically trash, so we just put them away and don't think about them anymore. Mm-hmm. But Paul Dano is finding uses for his dead body. He's the multi-purpose man. Or also, and, let's just let we can we can draw we can the the big analogy I feel like with Swiss Army Man is that Paul Dano, who is an introvert, doesn't have a lot of friends, mm-hmm. finds somebody that one he can confide in, two that can show him the value of friendship. Well, in he's terms projecting of, a lot of he's stuff. He's projecting what he would want. Yeah, it's, there's a there, you know this is a, this is weird. I actually remember this when I was in the third to fourth grade. Um, Teachers would do thought experiments like that, you know, like describe yourself, you know, and like describe, you know, or describe what you would think of as a best friend. And you'd write down a list of attributes of what you think would be in a best friend. And then they're like, did you think these describe you? And they're like, you're looking for yourself in your best friend. I mean, weird stuff in 1984, sure. But it's like, wow, like I used to think like I'm looking for somebody who, you know, but no, you're really kind of looking for somebody who, you, who is, shares your values, who shares your values. And if you're not ready to like put that out there, if you sit there and you're an indoor kid who's like writing in your journal all the time, maybe you present yourself in this corpse. Like this is who I, this is who I, I am, who I want to be and who I need you to be. So even in that sense, this movie could be like fight club. I hmm. am, I am Edward Norton on the daily basis. Who I want to be is Brad Pitt. Yeah. I am you and every piece of you who you aren't. Yeah, you I know? feel like they scratched at that a little bit in the weird ending where they thought Paul Dano was Manny mm-hmm. without any explanation of why they thought that. But right, it was still right, a little right. – it was a little Tyler Durden. A little bit, you know. Yeah. And and so there's there was that thought experiment. And then I just – I look at like Weekend at Bernie's and Bernie was a means to an end for them. Like mm-hmm. they, they were about to do the right thing but then – it's better to keep this guy well, around. As, as you were talking, I was thinking about how both of the dead bodies are used as props differently in each of mm-hmm. the movies. Mm-hmm. In Bernie, in Weekend at Bernie's, he's used as something of a social equalizer, I guess you could say. Oh, well, it's like, yeah. It's like yeah, those yeah, folks yeah. who sneak into the White House in a nice suit and just look like they're mm-hmm. supposed to be there. Bernie's the nice suit. He's uh, the social grease, I yeah. guess, mm-hmm. in, in that film, whereas uh, although... Daniel Radcliffe is serving as some sort of emotional kind of uh, prop for uh, Paul Daniel's character. He's also just basically a physical like prop. 
Yeah, because yep. like you know, he does the karate chop that chops things down. He's a canteen. He's etc. He's his flint and steel. He shaves my yep, face. Yep, exactly. He shaves. Whereas Bernie he isn't used really for any of that. No, no. Except for like, I mean, Bernie drops on a guy at one point, and like, there's that fake kind of scuffle. Yeah, yeah that, yeah, that yeah. assassin has a surprising amount of trouble fighting a corpse a yeah. couple of times. A couple of times. I just I remember. What so I, was, I really like that kind of like distinction between them, mm-hmm. like in terms of just thinking about them. This kind of like physical difference but, but like just what they're used as props basically. as as a kid as like a as a teenage kid you know like not knowing new york or not knowing like like knowing that this was a big house a beautiful house i told you that i, I don't know why like oh my god he has a Liechtenstein. what not of the course pe- he does yeah it's just like i just remember seeing that like this is prosperity this is wealth mm-hmm. this is like these two nobodies getting elevated you know mm-hmm. and i thought and in in my mind like this is how the other half actually lives and that there is a possibility again this is like the 80s bleeding through like if you work hard stay in school and you impress the bosses they will bring you to their goddamn like house in the hamptons you know but this is when you get this is when you're moving up the ladder when you're invited to a casual situation where your work doesn't matter where everybody piles in and the women are all tan and beautiful wearing thongs you know and like Mm -hmm. everybody fawns on you and the and like your your fresh refreshments are free and what a shitty and sad thing that it's not that's not and has never been the case since we have been adults, like as soon as I got in the workplace, it's like no, you have to have a four hundred one k and a pension. You don't have a pension. You have a four hundred one k. It's like it's kind of a sad, like wet blanket. Like you will never meet the CEO of the Target Corporation because they work in you know New York City God and they live. You do because there's a good chance the CEO of your big corporation is sexually assaulting people. Sure, so, yeah. or whatever. You know, like it's like I I know I've met the the founder of my company, you know, that I work for, and I've met. The guy who was the president. I've met the the current president, you know, but we were bought out by another conglomerate. Mm-hmm. And I will never meet mm-hmm. that guy because he sits in his Jackson Hole ranch on his, like, treadmill for sleeps two hours a day, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, that's the world we live in. Like, how often were you like, I am a little lowly middleman who found some, some accounting discrepancies knocking on the door of the president of a, of a huge-ass New York, like, insurance firm to show fraud. And the guy's, like, giving me cigarettes and saying, come out to my place in the Hamptons. Take the ferry over. Mm-hmm. It's it's a that's also pure fantasy. So I guess mm-hmm. in the same I guess in that breath, both of these movie movies are pure fantasy. You well, know? I mean that's also part of the snapshot of '89. It's Reaganomics. Like if you uh, work hard, you can become the king. When in reality, no, no. Well, they were going to be killed. I don't know how. Like right. they were work, but the hard. the dream they were following is if we go to work every day and we work weekends and we work hard and hard and hard, we'll move up the ladder and end up owning the company. But they and but, then you see the actual way it works, which is no, this guy owns the company and he'll fucking kill you. Well, if we if we went ill, there's that you will die by working for this company. Mm-hmm. And to at the very beginning, they acknowledge the the truth of Reaganomics, which is the big thing is you are always going to be the little person here. And they're like, we're going to do this job until we die. And Bush came out later. The, the Bush the first was just like, I never approved of this form of like economics where like, no, no, no. As soon as well, the CEOs the get a lot of money, voodoo, right? voodoo yeah, yeah, voodoo economics. And he goes, once these guys, they will give it to the people who work for the company. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, my dad, I, I remember having conversations and my dad's like, if you work hard enough at this company, I'm like, dad, that's never going to happen. I am never going to run the Target Corporation. <laughs> I will be a team lead wearing red and khaki. There might be one guy who gets there. Maybe. I, yeah. But very rarely. No, he's going to get hired over from Hewlett Packard because he, he cut 10%. No, no, no. They'll, first year. of all, what they'll do is they'll call in like 
a company to actually review the business. Oh, yeah. And they will get paid seven figures. And then they'll have a team of like 18 people reviewing the books. And then they'll say, okay, well, what did you see? Well, we need to go to this marketing company and we'll hire 46 developers to do software to review and maybe do some actual productivity tracking. And then we'll want to die. And that's kind of how businesses go. Mm-hmm. It's a sad podcast. We're dealing with corpses here. Jesus uh, Christ. So, um, so, yeah, the corpses are both used. That's Basically, terrible. we're all just walking corpses. God damn it. Until we die. Both, both corpses are found to have uses beyond just being put in the ground and being sad over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a parallel. Cor- yeah. The usefulness of bodies. Gross. And like, if you That's think about it. That's for your porn. Usefulness version. of bodies. The usefulness of bodies. And the big gross thing is like, we have two putrefying corpses without the benefit of well, refrigeration. Well, the one in Bernie's is not putrefying. He should be. He is putrefying. Boy, howdy, should he be. Well, Maybe, then, like, Bernie is just so um, drunk on alcohol. Like, pickled. he's saturated. He's pickled. He's pickled. Yeah. I would explain why he's still good for Weekend at Bernie's, too. Mm-hmm. And we don't bit. know what happened to uh, Daniel Radcliffe's body, like, to kill it. Little known Maybe fact. Well, he probably drunk. floated He probably well, floated to, like, a pier. He's probably a jumper. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. They From did. the bruising on his stomach. The the putrefying of the body, he probably floated into a pier and is causing, like, like whales when they die and they kind of float around. Great whites are just nibbling at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, little in fact, before we tie this one off. And is it fun? It, kind of. Uh, so if you guys watch, uh, I, read, I read about this. If you watch the original Harry Potter, uh, Daniel Radcliffe has had help with this, but you will never get over the fact that he has a winky eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. The winky eye yeah, is like... Too. Yeah, so, okay, so he does, like, he does this, like, kind of, like, he, he looks at you, he doesn't blink. He has that, the, the one eye, like, kind of, like, sinks down. Yeah. So, it's interesting that His they... eyes sh- aren't perfectly synchronized. Yeah, so they, they, I mean, they capitalize on this in Swiss Army Man mm-hmm. to make him look more corpse-like. Like, one eye is, like, permanently lit it. Like, you know, ah, blow me down, or whatever. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, scary, 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 uh, my favorite part of Swiss Army Man was the eraser tip earbuds. Yes. That was definitely... That was a nice little touch, wasn't it? That, that was, was a nice little touch. Michelle Gondry improv class perfection. Perfection. All right. That's all what, I got. What are we doing next? I don't think we've decided what we're doing uh, next. We haven't. I, I like I like the idea of coming up with it on the fly, communally, and thinking about the future, like what's mm-hmm. going on and what's playing, like what we're doing, okay. sort of thing. I've got a couple of things I told you, I think, previously... You can know viewers, listeners. Uh, I've got a couple things that I've got uh, bubbling in the uh, periphery that I've discussed with some some actually buddies. Uh, we we do really well when we have guests. I love guests, and I would like to bring on my friend, some friends, like fellow uh, fellow movie and pop culture enthusiasts, like our friend Gregory Parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg, mm-hmm. I told you. Yeah, we, what did you want Greg to do? Well, Greg and I, uh, Gregory Parks and I, both have like this weird love for movies that popular culture and nerd culture dislike violently. Uh, for example... Field Earth? No. Uh, we're talking like the stuff that should be tent poles, like Man of Steel. We both mm. adore it. Mm. We're both like, yeah. Uh, mm. we, we find love in movies that people seem to like heap vitriol on. And when we talk about it, we seem to have like the same like views of it, which which are like... I, if this movie came out like 15 years ago, this would have been the, the be all end all Superman movies to make people forget it. And now that we've had like some great movies come out, Man of Steel comes out, Batman vs. Superman. I'm, I just bought the ultimate edition of Batman vs. Superman. Ugh. It's three hours long, <laughs> but fuck off, man. It's great. It is super great. I will, I will challenge and I will fight with my bloody 
fucking knuckles to the death that Ben Affleck is a great Batman. He is an amazing Batman. No, he is an amazing Batman. And and there's absolutely nothing. Christian Bale is fine. But Ben Affleck does his own shit. He's a talented actor. And poor Brian knows over here, like, he's wetting his pants. Batman v. Superman. He's chewing on the inside. I'm sorry. He. I'm just staring. He's, but yeah, the only good thing I've heard about that film is that Ben Affleck is a good Batman. And But but that part of that story is a big part of the story. And, and what Greg and I want to talk about is the fact that if you look at things versus, like, what we as nerds want, the color saturation oh, just, is you, terrible. Have you discussed this as Greg, with Greg already? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would love to be, he'd love to be on board. Um, I would love to, to see also my other thing is uh, I'm stealing it from previous guest uh, Jeremy Motes uh, and Ben Lane because they need to be able to formulate and get their own podcast. But they wanted to see, like, B-movies, right? Actual so movies, right? So, yeah, I wanted to say let's watch uh, – the first be like the first launching movies of Van Damme and Seagal. So Bloodsport and Above the Law. And I want to have like either my wife or your future wife or anybody kind of watch them mm-hmm. and give their thoughts on these shitty, shitty, wonderful movies where like all they do is like they showcase their talent as a martial artist. And then in the case of Van Damme, his ass, or in the case of Seagal, how he runs like a terminal penguin with his flappy arms so like an angry pair yeah other than that that's that's what i've got in my mind we still probably should think about other things and i can tell that josh is like i have i have law school to think about i do have law school to think about uh but i've been kind of looking for an excuse to watch man of steel and batman v superman because i've never gone that way and with suicide squad coming up in the next couple weeks yeah 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 that might be good. Also, I have to get content actually out. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I uh, I've got lenders for all of these for all parties. Um, the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman, by the way, uh, fills in a lot of blanks that pe- I think people were crabbing about. Who is Superman? Um, but it's also three hours exactly. So, wow. designate some time. Well, I I don't know if this will work for a double bill, but I would like to recommend it to people, especially if this. Episode goes up before the fringe is over, which even odds. Um, but I have a fringe show called Mead Hall, uh, which is a mashup of two pieces of popular culture. Uh, it is a show about two casts discovering they're in the same time and place. One of them doing a one man Beowulf, and the other doing a musical adaptation of Roadhouse, and just how those two properties mash together, and how the people who want to bring them to the stage mash together. So, right, double bill that, even if we'll never talk about it. Go to my show. Hmm. Go to my show. Go what are you? Oh, well, Fringe is coming up. Fringe is coming up. That's a big deal. Are That's you on a Fringe show? Uh, I am. So this is. So I. I was, we were talking about this before. What are we? What are we working on? What are we looking at? What are we enjoying? Uh, I'm presently. I'm going to be doing a Fringe show, as in one night, mm-hmm. for uh, Derek Lee Miller. Uh, he's doing oh, uh, nice. Know Your B Movie Actor. Interestingly enough, and you guys, and maybe to the public at large, so on the call board, you guys remember when he did this? So oh, yeah. he and I had a conversation, very like kind of PM back and forth, and he's like, who's that one guy who was in that one thing? And we talked about it, and he's like, oh, I should do And so he would like, he would research the shit out of it. The The guy that came to my mind that I put in my bio is Al Leong. Al Leong had a prolific career uh, in the terms of you see him, you'll know who he is. In the 80s, as the the token Asian bad guy, he was in Lethal Weapon as a guy that electrocuted Mel Gibson. He was in um, he was in Die Hard as the guy that has a candy bar while uh, Hans Gruber is like on the microphone talking to cops. He is in like Showdown Little Tokyo. He is in Big Trouble in Little China. Prolific, 
And he is always in it because he knows he looks badass and he looks angry all the time, you know. And Al Leong is a thing. So he's doing night a couple of nights, but he has a different B movie actor that <laughs> during his shows. My night is going to be uh Roddy Roddy Piper. Nice. So I just saw they live, not recently. That's a, oh yeah. See, that's what we're gonna talk about. I just bought the t shirt that said Hot Rod, his 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 pro wrestling one. What I'm watching right now is I'm still getting through uh Agents of Shield season two and Arrow mm. season two. I just finished rewatching the movie Van Helsing because I signed up for HBO Now, and that movie still sucks balls. There's some good <laughs> stuff about it, but wow! What I a piece associate of shit. that movie with uh, Wendy's hamburgers. <laughs> what? <laughs> because uh, we went and saw that, and we wa- immediately after we wanted greasy food because that movie was just greasy cheese ball, overblown nonsense. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where where I am right now, and yeah, watching. Uh, Batman vs. Superman. I just bought it last Tuesday, and uh, I'm enjoying the shit out of it, and I'm enjoying some of the little Easter eggs that are for, for fans. How about you? I know you said Meat Hall. What else? What are you watching right um, now? What I'm watching right now, I'm re-watching Star Trek Voyager for some reason. Why? I know. Why? Um, and oh, what else am I into? Oh, to balance that out, I am in the middle of the Up series. I have been for a while, but I just watched 21 Up and just got oh, 28 Up. So sure. okay. looking forward sure. to that. It's a... Um, the biographical series about British kids that started with seven and then revisited them every seven years up through 56, and they're about three years away That's from the next cool round. Series. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's I, so crazy. So I got through 21 where everyone's kind of like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, and I'm looking forward to the future steps of them. And then in terms of reading, I'm also doing balance there. I'm reading Contested Will, which is about the Shakespeare authorship quote. Uh, question. And oh, cool, cool. It's actually about the authorship question. It's about why are people questioning, why do people arrive at this? It's less about who actually wrote Shakespeare, more about why, who questioned whether he did. Why is there a conspiracy thinking why, about Why do people sure, think sure. Bacon? Why do people think Oxford? Mark Twain, huge Baconian. Really? I just got through the part about Mark Twain. <laughs> huge Baconian. That's, yeah. that's a thing. He... The big thing about him is that he didn't believe Shakespeare could have written it because he truly believed down to his soul that you couldn't write well about something unless you'd experienced it. Because that was how he wrote. He didn't know how to write stuff he hadn't done. Mm. He actually wanted to write a book about diamond mines, so he hired a guy to go work in a diamond mine and take copious notes. Jesus. So he could come back, have it dictated to him, and be able to write the book. Then the guy, like, got bit by a mosquito and died, so that, that, <laughs> that book never happened. Um, Mark Twain. Jeez. Yeah, right? That fucking guy. So that, and then also starting the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov, and uh, probably some crap also, but those are the ones that I remember right now. How about you, kid? You're, besides grad school, what are you, or besides law school, what are you doing? What are you looking at? What am I looking at right now? Right now, I'm in a little bit of a lull period, so I can actually go to see movies like mm-hmm. that are not homework for me. You saw Ghost, you both saw Ghostbusters. I saw Great. Ghostbusters. Yes. I really enjoyed Ghostbusters. I had a lot of fun with that. Yes. Um, you saw Star it. Trek, by I the went, way. I went opening night to Star Trek. I can't, and then nice. you you posted a glowing... Uh, I want to just point out really quick, that, in the midst of like waking up in the morning and thinking, I, I feel like previous personal stuff that we've talked about beforehand, mm-hmm. and current political environment mm-hmm. and climate, Ugh. world climate, and you post that, and I'm not even going to lie to you, that gave me like a feeling of very very positive hope and i think that was like that 
I'm like, that movie, I could have taken it or leave, left it. Yeah, And I think, you said, like, the things that made me, like, I'm going to go see that fucking movie in the theater. I had a lot of fun with uh, Star Trek Beyond, and it was as if somebody spent 30 minutes thinking about what Star Trek actually was before they actually wrote the script. Sure. So Probably that, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. And uh, I can't remember the other. He has a co-writer on it. I can't remember who that person is. But uh, it was well-directed. I mean, it was by Jason Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Who does the Fast and... Or did some of the Fast and Furious yep. movies, am I yep. right? Mm, uh, and so I really enjoyed that. I re- and I really liked... Star Trek Beyond's vision of the Federation because you didn't really get that in the first two like films because well, the, yeah the uh, first one was the college you know like yeah, you go yeah, to university yeah. and, yeah. The, and then the, the second the one's th- about evil Admiral mm-hmm. Robocop and right. the theme that they kind of struck on right in the beginning of the film is like the Federation is about unity and diversity and like kind of coming together to create this thing mm-hmm. and that becomes a center point in the film it's a touchstone for it because like I think if you're going to have a good action film you need to have something to defend in right. the action film and I don't know if those are necessarily there in the first uh, two movies I think in yeah. the first one it's present because you're kind of coasting on the gas from the previous Star Trek and what the right. Federation is and the second one it kind of drops off well the second uh, one's trying to still coast on that gas yeah I think so uh, but the third one brought that back I I don't think it's a perfect film but it's a film I really enjoyed watching right. uh, and uh, Ghostbusters I would see that uh, if you have time and I for mm-hmm. all the reasons I don't want to get into the Ghostbusters argument because there's so much dab a dab dab a dab it's a great uh, in terms of things that I've read I've actually, I don't like to sit down and read because I do that enough anyway right uh, so I've been listening to uh, Jeff Vandermeer's Southern Reach trilogy which mm-hmm. is all like sort of uh, weird fiction that's very good uh, I really enjoyed that especially the first book I enjoyed all the books, but the first book especially, because it set the tone for the whole thing. And uh, I've also just been chilling out, basically, trying to not be uh, insane. Right. uh, And just kind of, like, put everything off to the side and try to enjoy myself. I actually have a test that I have to prepare for Next year is your last, is this your next last last year? And I have a busy, busy semester ahead of me, because I, in, in addition to classwork, I'm also on law review and doing the intellectual property Law review, and uh, I'm also a student body representative. You started. You started doing this podcast exactly when you started law school. Yeah. Thing. That's also, crazy. also the length of time, almost for the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I have. It's funny you can mention this. I actually, uh, I went on a bit of a, an Amazon, sorry, vendor, and I have books on my uh, on my queue, and I had the luxury of getting a little bit of a little bit of money from a gig and I was like fuck it. So I have the uh, the Jim Henson biography. Mm. I've got the Richard Pryor biography, mm. Ronda Rousey biography and Already? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you put it out. No, you put it out. I actually ordered that. It's I I gave it to my wife to read and How old is she? She'll beat you up for asking. Anyway, um and then I got the uh I've got the uh Steve Martin Born Standing Up, which Aww. I've read and I gave to my, I think I gave to my dad. My dad lent it out, and I never got it back. But boy, the Steve Martin biography if, is. If important. you get the chance to listen to it on tape, when he narrates it. Oh God, is so it great? it's perfect. Yeah. yeah, that man. Yeah, so I've got like a, the the big stack of books like ready to go. And then based on from Sam Landman on again, we got to get that asshole on here because yeah, seriously. <laughs> I know he's got his like you know like aging poorly and shit like that, but. He he keeps talking about the Batman one that he's reading about. Oh yeah, Cape Crusader. The Cape Crusader, yeah, like Batman and pop culture and all mm-hmm. that shit. And I think mm-hmm. I want to like give that one a whirl because the the most recent one is exactly what we were all thinking in like 2004 when Goyer was like, "I'm cherry picking storylines for this new Batman movie," you mm-hmm. know. And we were all still in like Star Wars, like, "Come on, let's get the newest like last Star Wars," you know, Darth Vadering going on. And Goyer's going through like you know Killing Joke. He's going through Year One. 
um, and like all these other ones to like come up with like you know his his year with Raz Reza Ghoul and all that shit. So. Yeah, there's all those elements in those. So that's gonna be the next one. Anyway, uh, that's what I got for now. Well, that's double bill. Peace out, yo. Bye, guys. Bye. Pert. Should I go back to being dead? Double bill, double bill. Comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill. It's double bill.